Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test? The nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture? series called The Christian Checklist. It's under our Spiritual Corner category. You can find the full list of topics we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation.com.
the foundation. That is J-A-E-F dot foundation. God told Joshua something in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 that I believe most Christians overlook. You see, Joshua had been given the responsibility to lead the children of Israel into the promised land to possess it. And God was giving him some last minute instructions before they set off. So picture yourself as the commander in chief. How would you as the commander in chief instruct your army general who is heading out to the battlefield? I'm sure most of us would be looking over battle strategy, tactics, and so forth. However, God's last departure instructions to Joshua seem to be both ironic and iconic. God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in this book day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in this book, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The book of the law that God was referring to wasn't a book containing fighting instructions and battle tactics. No. The book of the law was a combination of God's moral laws, civil laws, and sanitary laws. Interesting right? I think so. However, I want to draw our attention to these specific phrases used by God in verse 8. He said, the law. Now today, to ask Christians, this means God's instructions. Then he also said, meditate day and night. This is a suggestion of a daily routine. Practice remembering these laws, meditate them, ponder them. He also said, observe to do all of it. Put, it in, put them into action. Put God's statutes into action daily. Then by, do, by doing all the above, it's inevitable that whatever you do, you will prosper and have good success. Whether it's a business relationship, romantic relationship, mental health, finances, leadership, physical health, you name it. Just like Joshua was guaranteed good success in possessing a foreign land, likewise God guarantees us good success if we meditate and do all of his statutes. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that, but understand this, that in the last days will come set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. And Peter also told the scattered believers around the world to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. With this in mind, and the awareness of the times, that we currently live in today. As a Christian, you can no longer afford to just wake up and dash out of the door. You need to remind yourself daily that you are like a soldier going out to the battlefield and whether or not you get back home to your family depends on the kind of armory that you go out with 
on the battlefield. Whether you like it or not, accept it or not, as a Christian out in the world today, you need to be thoroughly equipped before you encounter the day. In fact, I like to think of it as it's kill or be killed. So the Christian checklist is just a guide that you can use to stay sharpened and well-rounded in the different areas of your Christian walk. The Christian checklist will help you cover your spiritual blind spots. We hope this series blesses your heart. So open up your heart and mind and let's dive in. Cause the light has shown us No fear's big enough to own us We were never meant to fit in these folders Know this, I ain't scared of these poses Over time we all face opponents They thought they could mess with this focus They forgot the end of the climb's the coldest Know this, life's a battlefield of moments Hold this We are and no one hears We persevere As we approach the line We march through all those fears That kept us here Walls, you can't hold us. If we just keep running away, we'll never make it alive. Till we stand and we fight, aim fire and blow it away. We're storming enemy lines, leaving no one behind. Welcome back to episode 14 of the Christian Checklist. We are in the midst of this series called The Seven Muscles of Christianity. So far, we have looked at muscle number one, which was the Word of God. Muscle number two was prayer and fasting. Muscle number three was meditation. And in our last episode, we started off on uncovering muscle number four, which is confession. That's where we ended in our last episode. And why is it very important for us to be diligent about exercising all seven of these muscles. The seven of them, so far we've looked at four of them. We're currently talking about muscle number four, how we can exercise it, the importance of exercising this muscle, which is called confession. 
And the reason is because it is very easy for us as Christians to become one-sided or two-sided or three-sided in our Christian walk. And the areas that we pay very little attention to become blind spots, weak links in the chain of our armor. Paul tells us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. To put on the full armor of God. And so the point that we're trying to address here is that unfortunately as Christians we cannot be one-sided you see you cannot be strong in one muscle and think that it will compensate for the other muscles what you don't practice what you don't exercise becomes a point of attack for Satan so you cannot have a very strong prayer life and not walk in obedience or walk in a life of sin and think that prayer will just make up for living a life of sin. You can't have, you can't just pray only and not read the word of God. Exercising one aspect of these muscles does not make up for the imbalance caused by the other muscle. You have to exercise all seven of them. So Paul reminds us that isn't it obvious in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, Paul challenges us. He tells us, isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win? But only one receives the victor's prize. Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. For our context, the race here that we have to be victorious in is, the, is our destiny. Is what God has ordained for us to do on this earth. He says, a true athlete will be disciplined in every respect. Practicing constant self-control. It says discipline in every respect. For our context, this will mean discipline in exercising all seven muscles. It says they do this to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For this reason, I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches, but I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body, I get it under my control, so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. So, when we introduced muscle number four in our last episode, confession, we say that confession is what releases faith in us. We say that confession, think of confession as pretty much 
the last act before manifestation from the spirit realm into the natural realm. And we looked, we went back to the beginning and saw that there is nothing that we see on this planet and the beginning of creation that came into being without God having vocalized the faith, the spirit of faith that was in him. And we looked at Genesis chapter one that talked about how the spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. And we say that nothing was happening. For as long as the spirit was hovering, nothing was happening. And that could have been the case for a thousand years. Nothing would have happened. But it was until the next step that that act of bringing the baby out of the womb, of the spiritual womb, into manifestation, which was then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And everything after that is the precursor to anything appearing on the scene is then God said, then God said, then God said. And we also say, we see that saying, confessing is also the precursor when we receive salvation. For the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, it says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So he's saying, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Right? That is the word of faith. So now faith has been built up. It's in you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. It says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, right, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, in verse 10 is where we see that precursor that believing is the precursor to speaking, and then speaking is the precursor to you attaining your salvation because it says, for with the heart you believe first unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you have belief comes first, then the confession follows, and then after that you receive your salvation. And then it just goes on to say in verse 13 that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what we were focused on. I mean, this is this is this was the foundation we laid in the previous episode about the power of confession. Now, while we were talking about the power of confession, the Spirit of the Lord led us to look at how that confession, a positive confession for a Christian believer is how God can have his words released into the atmosphere to birth manifestation. Likewise, negative confessions is Satan's, is the opposite way in which Satan operates. So the scripture says in, in, in Proverbs, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I believe that's in Proverbs 18, 21. So 
In your mouth, you have death and life. When you speak positive things, that is life. You eat the fruit of life. When you speak, when you speak negative things, you are speaking death. And your fruit will be death. Yes, Proverbs 18, 21. Now, one very important aspect when it comes to confession, one of the things I said is that confession also, when you look at the context of confession, like where it lies amongst the seven muscles, it's that one in, in between. In that, think of a baby who needs all these nutrients. So the baby in this case, which is a spiritual baby, the promise of God that is in your spirit needs the word of God, prayer and fasting, meditation, praise, worship, and thanksgiving, generosity, writing, journaling, remembrance, um, all of these things. But confession, once the baby has been sufficiently nourished with these nutrients in your spiritual womb, confession is how you deliver the baby. So a lot of Christians make confessions. One of the problems is that on an empty spiritual womb. So the confession is not ready to be birthed because, and even when you bring it out, it is not potent. The other picture that I illustrated was saying that confession is also like having this knife is, is like having two knives. One is very sharp. The other one is blunt. So with a blunt knife, you are going to need to, you know, it's going to take a lot of effort for you to cut whatever you need to cut. You know, if it's an ax, a blunt ax, you're going to spare a lot of energy, spend a lot of energy in trying to split wood. But with a very sharp axe, in one strike, you split the log of wood. And that's what we want. We don't want to be Christians who need a thousand strikes with our, with our axe to get the job done. We want to be as effective as possible, as effective and efficient as we can, which means you want to not be the Christian who's doing a thousand confessions to birth your spiritual promise, but you want few because you have sufficiently nourished this confession. It is sharp enough. You've backed it up with the word of God, the prayer, the promise. And then by the time you apply confession, it's striking and you don't need to take a thousand swings just to split a piece of wood. So with that in mind, there is also this other aspect of the timing of our confession, which is where we kind of ended the last episode. And one of the things I'm saying is that a lot of Christians will, will just sit at the television. Most people in the world, they don't know this, that before negative things happen, we take for granted the negative reports that come through the radio or TV, air, uh, TV airwaves. 
But you don't realize that it, that is Satan's strategy. Before something negative can manifest, Satan needs a mouthpiece. Likewise, before something good can happen, God needs a mouthpiece. So the newscasters for them, they might not know that they are being an ally to the devil by just getting on the airwaves and proclaiming doom and gloom. Oh, the housing market is coming. I mean, a housing crisis is coming. Oh, uh, this is flu season. Oh, this bad thing is going to happen. This and this is going to happen. They don't realize that you are being, they are being a mouthpiece for Satan. Now, when someone casts a blanket of doom like that, it is in your best interest not to just sit down there and get pebbled by the angel of death and just take all of that into your spiritual conscience. Because trust me, the same way that when Jesus, people came to him and said, speak the word only, the centurion about his servant, the scripture says in Psalms 107, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them of their distractions. So when you send your word, if it's a positive word, it's going to have a positive impact to the person who receives it. Now, if you send a negative word, likewise, it's going to have a negative impact. It's the same thing you see. You may not know this, but if the people who are practicing devil worshipping or the occult, the people who do sorcery, witches witch, uh, and wizards, when they cast spells into the atmosphere, that spell eventually finds a way to be, all they do is they will cast a spell into the atmosphere, right? Now, you might not know it, that you are driving, let's say you're driving in a part of town, and there's, let's say, a witch, a wizard, someone doing sorcery in that part of town, and they've cast a spell for an accident to happen. Just read through Psalms 140, 141. You'll see spiritual warfare. Uh, how people invoke uh, de demonic spirits and all of these things is vocally. Voices are involved. And once those voices are involved, these spells, these curses are sent out into the atmosphere as a net. So what happens? So when someone puts out Let's say they want to, they want bloodshed or they want sickness or disease to, to, to come down into that region. So for you, without knowing the death and life and the power of the tongue and you wake up, that demonic spirit moving with that spell starts oppressing people. Basically, it's looking for a house to dwell in. It's looking for a vessel to land on. So it's now when those symptoms start to come on your body. Maybe it's a flu. Maybe it's a cold. Maybe it's a pain. Maybe it's um, um, something about your business. So the, 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 way, the way this thing works is that 
there's a receiver, there's there's um there's a sender and a receiver. So Satan will be looking for your cooperation with a spell that has been cast out into the atmosphere. And what Satan will do is that symptoms will start to pass around, right? Symptoms coming on you is basically the first, um, that's what's called a symptom. For a Christian believer, it's, it's, it's the first signal for you to, to play defense. The moment you feel a sore throat, or you feel yourself getting a stuffy nose, you start feeling feverish, that's not the time to now utter the words, I am coming down with a cold. By you saying that, you basically set your receiver to accept the spell, the, the, the curse of, 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 oh, it's flu season. And I, and, and I use this as an example, and I say in the last episode that uh, we were in a probably grocery store or somewhere. And you know how, like, in during fall season, they start every time you hear on the, on the speaker when you go into these grocery stores, oh, it's flu season, come get your flu shot, it's flu season. And, and, and for me, now that my eyes have been opened, that's very offensive because this person is just casting spells on us. They're saying it's flu season. Who said it's flu season? Where just because um, people have come down with flu, into, we, we cannot now turn a full stretch of a year and, and declare it as flu season. But people have played cool with it, and people just go along with it. So when we walked in, and the and and the and the, the, the something on the on the speaker was like, "Oh, it's flu season. Are you ready for flu season?" I <laughs> I quickly say, "It's not flu season for me." And my sister laughed. Somebody said, "You." She's like, "You are really like so." Uh, you know, you don't play with these things. You will even talk back to a speaker. And I say, of course, because when you receive a death report, the best time to counter it with a counter confession is right when that news hits you. And the example we use about this whole thing of counter confessions before we get to attacking confessions versus counter and, and also counter confessions versus just an attacking confession is why is it very important that the moment when you hear someone say, oh, the job market is crashing, uh, it's projected that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. That's not the time to just be quiet. That's the time to speak back. I don't care if these, it's coming from the newscaster and it's not someone physically saying that to you. That's the time to say, no, I will not lose my job. So the housing market is cry is crashing and you're in real estate company all the stock market you said no my, my stock my stock my stocks will do well you know my mutual funds will do well my this will do well i resist that news 
you know, a spirit of fear is coming on you, the best time to, to speak to attack that fear be, before it becomes a stronghold is the moment when you start to feel its oppression against you. If you don't counter the spirit of fear, the moment when you start to feel palpitations, your heart going up, you can't speak and say, I resist you fear in the name of Jesus. The, the longer you take, it becomes a stronghold. It becomes a stronghold. And that's why we were saying that you can you can see Jesus use, apply this principle of a counter confession when he was with, walking with Jairus and they were going back to his house. And as they were on their way to his house, one of his servants came and said, while he had spoke, they came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, a certain person who said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any father? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. It was right when Jesus had the death report, the angel of death, who basically came through someone else, through one of Jairus' servants, that Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. And we also see that when he got to his house, where the girl was laying, he also released another counter-confession at the crime scene. Because when he entered the house, he said, when he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the mouth and saw the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly, when he was coming, he said unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put all of them out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto you, arise. Now, it's also very interesting that from the moment Jesus had the first death report all the way through to the point of raising her from the dead, he, kept, he never used the word, she is dead. He says, he said, she's not dead, she sleepeth. Now, that's another part where, that will be another episode where we shall talk about this, this side, this point of saying, how do you communicate the fact, but still uphold the truth of God's word? Because the fact is, she was dead. But there's another, there's another dimension. For, for Jesus to raise her from the dead, he now had to speak from the dimension of life. So there's the two dimensions. So most people, let's say they receive a doctor's report. They'll say that, um, let's say they have, um, they receive a doctor's report that says maybe they have cancer. 
how how do you if let's say you were talking to your wife maybe your, your children maybe you wanted to share that with a few people how do you communicate the fact of the report but still uphold the truth of God's word that by his stripes you are healed that's that's a challenge that most Christians deal with. They say, they'll say something like, well, I have this, right? And it seems counterintuitive to say that I don't have it. Um, you know, I've, I've been meditating on this for, this is one, one of the ones where I know how I handle it in most cases, but I know a lot of people struggle with it. How do you say, on one hand, you want to say, you want to walk in the, like, how do you say you have something to commute just for communication purposes? But listen, faith is again, communication. Confession is also communication. How do you say you have something but then still um, uphold the word of faith. Because whatever you have, the word of God says it has already healed. There's healing for it. So one of the things that I would say is, for instance, you know, I could say that um, You cannot, okay, for instance, when it comes down to, I, this is what I, this is what I believe. So I look, you look at the duration, right? You look at the duration of how long is the death report? Okay. Let, let me say two people. One person has been diagnosed with cancer. And they have, you know, it's relatively new, maybe stage two. The other person is diagnosed with stage four cancer. One person has maybe three years to leave. The other person has 30 days to leave. I strongly believe that the more critical the diagnosis is from your human perspective, not from God's perspective. God's perspective is it the same amount of power it takes to heal a cold is the same amount of power it takes to heal cancer. To God, it's not like when it comes to cancer that it that you know that for him it's it's two hundred watts, and then when it comes to a cold, it's just ten watts. It's all sickness to him, so it, it, it's the same amount. Now, this is where we have to be very very careful because someone who's been given thirty days to live, I personally don't believe that you are even 
in a luxury to use the words that you have cancer. I, I, now, I finally, I did find one scenario, which I'm going to explain using um, the scenario of, of the death of Lazarus. And you'll see how Jesus handled this. Because I know a lot of people struggle with this. Let's look at, let's look at the story of Lazarus. Because there's a way in which Jesus answered this question to make it clear to those that were around him to say Lazarus is actually dead. But he hesitated to do so. Let us talk, let us look at um, John chapter 11. This is very interesting. Because this has really also been something on my mind because to some people they think that, you know, I've had, you know, I've had, my my the people around me have had to to adjust to how I really approach these things, because I, I so he's 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 one because some people struggle and I, and I do have a friend who struggles and one of the things she says but Calvin, if I'm feeling this it doesn't make sense for me to say I don't have it, if I have it, right? She says if I'm feeling this way like how. You know, for me to say, like, I don't have it, I feel like a hypocrite. Now, the one thing that after taking some time to meditate on this, which led me to John chapter 11, was this. There comes a point in your healing journey whereby along the healing journey, there is a, conf a confession that you make with finality, which draws the line. Let's say you you you've been diagnosed with a with, with a sick. Someone has been diagnosed with a sickness, and they have maybe six months is what the doctor has given them six months to leave. I believe that the way that person talks or confesses about the sickness might not necessarily, they have a little room, wiggle room than someone who has been given 30 days to leave. Someone who has 30 days to leave does not even have the luxury, I firmly believe, to be casting more spell and doom about their situation, that they have been diagnosed with this sickness and they, they have it, and, and for them to say that they have Let's say cancer, and then they have 30 days to live. In this sense, it's okay for them to have one opportunity. One, one, let's say the news is, the news just came out, and then because they want to have the people closest to them know about it. And I also don't believe that you should tell everybody about it because people start to put fear on you. But, of course, your wife needs to know, uh, your husband. But um, maybe your kids and things of that nature. Maybe just a few people. Your, your, your Peter, James, and John. The three people, as Jesus did. The, the, the key people that just need to know about it. 
But there comes a point when after you have communicated the news and everybody knows, not everybody, I take that back, and the people that, you, that are really dear to your life, they know what's really happening, that now once you cross a certain line of confession, you cannot use death words again. So if you've made your phone calls to two or three people in, dear in your life, you've told your parents, de -de 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 -de, this is serious. The doctors have said this. Mm. Okay. Everybody knows what's happening. Now, you pray. Right? You get on the phone. You pray. From the moment you pray, that becomes a dividing line between your confession of the fact and you not even confessing the fact and just going forth confessing the truth, which is God's word, because truth supplants fact. Here's why. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 11, shows us where that dividing line of the confession comes, whereby from the moment you pray and you believe, okay, we have prayed to God, we believe he has released the healing power of God, it's already at work, this prayer has been answered. That means from that point moving forward, you cannot now be speaking the condition and still say, walking around and saying, I have this disease. I have this situation. I have this. Because now you're countering everything that you prayed for. And here's uh, evidence for it. And you'll also see it in John chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, this is what Jesus said. This is after Jesus had cast the fig tree and they came back the next morning and they saw the fig tree and they, and they marveled at um, the fact that the fig tree had dried up from the roots. Now, in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, it talks about confession, but in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, he now talks about prayer. He says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So when do you believe that you have received your healing? Is when you pray. So if you've, if you've prayed and your family has come together and you people have made that group prayer together, You've made your supplication to the Lord. You said, Lord, you said with long life, you will bless me. I still want to live. Uh, I still want to be around on this side of heaven. We ask that your healing power manifests in my body. Your word says by your stripes, I was healed. I believe I am healed from this moment moving forward in Jesus' name. The moment you release that, that becomes, as the scripture says, when you pray, believe that you receive them. So when do you receive? When you pray, believe you receive. So when do you believe you received? When you pray. You shall have them is the part that God takes care of. That's the manifestation. So you've prayed, you believe that you received, but you don't have it yet in your hands. It hasn't yet manifested. That's the, the remaining clause is the manifestation. 
But that's why I'm saying we'll see another example that Jesus did here in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. He used the word death once because the people around him could not understand. So I believe there's a principle whereby if you want someone not to think of you as crazy, especially people, you want people to know about what they're praying about, you have to tell them. The doctor has diagnosed the doctor has diagnosed you with this, this, and that. So it's fair for you to tell them in in its terms, but you from the moment you pray, you now cannot start using that phraseology again. Because from that moment, you don't have time. You now have to start speaking life into the situation. That's why I say someone who's been given one week to leave does not even have the luxury to spend three days talking, calling people on the phone and telling them they have one week to leave. No, it's you. From the moment the doctor says that is the moment you release your counter confession and you start to only speak life. That's what I'm saying. If you if if the if if a person has been given one year to leave, they they have maybe the luxury of in one week, the first week, to make utterances that maybe the doctor said and say they say that I have this. Right, but there comes a point when you release your faith and you say we've prayed, you cannot come back. Because the moment you start to speak negative, you cancel everything that you have positively prayed for. And that's why Jesus here says, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive. So when do you receive? Is when you pray. When do you believe that you've received your healing? Is when you pray. So whatever the situation is, there comes a point when after I've made a prayer of faith, in my mind and in my spirit, my, my, my jurisdiction has changed. My, my faith geographical location has changed from I was sick to now I am healed. There comes a point when you have to switch sides. And when you switch sides, if you've, if you've switched sides by faith to the side where you're only going to say by his stripes I was healed, the doctor said that, I have this, but, and also it's very important to, 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 you know, there comes a point when, when you switch sides to saying, okay, we have prayed. We believe the Lord has released healing that you start to speak life. You can't, you don't have the luxury anymore to speak death because now you are countering everything that you've said. You've counted your positive confession. So it's that. It's, a, it's that serious. Now, let's look at a scenario where Jesus had to ex explain in explicit terms that Lazarus was dead. But the one thing that you'll see is that Jesus tried as much as he could not to even use that phrase. So, if you have released, I don't know, five confessions about your situation, just speaking it explicitly as it is, now there's work to be done to counter every negative confession that you've released. Okay, let us look at Lazarus, John chapter 11. 
it says, um, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Wow. Already the, the two things that we have been talking about, which is this principle of, of a counter-confession. Jesus was so good with a counter-confession immediately when he had the bad news. He just never allowed, he was just never allowed to, he never allowed himself to be blanketed with this bad news. Again, he tells us, the moment they say unto him, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. He said, when Jesus heard that, once again, it's the same thing he did with Jairus. When Jesus heard, just, just, just them telling him, he whom you love is sick. When he heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Now, there's a whole backstory when you see how the story goes. In that Jesus actually, he was already countering the worst case scenario. Because he said, this sickness is not unto death. This is the same thing he told Jairus' daughter. He, he, told, he, told the, he told Jairus about his daughter. When they said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the master? He said, do not be afraid, only believe. So here we see another scenario in chapter 4, John chapter 11, verses 4, where Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. So basically, he countered this death report even before Lazarus had died. So he already countered the worst case scenario. So this is the same thing as you hearing on the news. Oh, a lot of companies, uh, the job market is crashing, right? Now, the, the newscaster may not even go as far as to say that may not mention your company. Right. Let's say that the, the, uh, the newscaster might say, well, the job market is crashing and uh, 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 so far we have received information that these companies are laying off people. Now, your company doesn't have to be mentioned, but it's your prerogative. It's in your best interest, even though the newscaster is not saying that the job market crashing is gonna, you know, like, let's say the newscast says, uh, so far the market is saying 10,000 people have lost their jobs, right? You don't have to wait for, for basically for more job loss. Now, you know, you don't have to wait for that report to get to knock at your company's door. That's the time to say, okay, this job market crash will not, take my job so jesus when jesus had the report of sickness it's funny he not only counted the sickness but he counted the worst case scenario which was death so even when lazarus died 
Jesus had already put in case had already put in place a a higher law. He had already put in place a covering, like a safeguard, that even if Lazarus dies, he had already said this sickness is not unto death. So there was a spiritual law of life that had already gone ahead of the spiritual law of death. I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if you get that. So it's it's very interesting because he said this sickness is not unto death, but the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Okay. Then Jesus, it says, uh, verse chapter six, he says that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed two days longer in the same place where he was, right? He had not yet gone over there. Then after the interval, he said to his disciples, let us go back again to Judea. Now, stuff is it's about to get interesting. His disciples said unto him, Rabbi, the Jews only recently were intending on trying to stone you, and you're thinking of going back again? Jesus answered, um, So Jesus answered, uh, Are there none 12 hours in the day? Anyone who walks about in the daytime does not stumble. But verse, verse 11 is where I want to bring your attention. Do I want to draw your attention? After he had talked about, are there not 12 hours in a day? Anyone who walks about in the daytime does not stumble, but he but he sees by the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, yada, 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 verse 11. He said these things and then added, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Hmm. But I go that I may wake that I that I may awake him out of sleep. Again, it's very interesting. Jesus always referred to death as just sleep. This is exactly what, what he did in the case of Jairus' daughter. He entered the room and said, Why are you making why are you crying and making all this wailing and making this ado? Said the damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Here he goes again. He's using the same strategy, the same law with Lazarus. You can see that he's resisting to speak the actual words of death. This is, this is Christians take this lightly. Christians take this lightly. He's refusing... He's, he's trying to abstain. He's trying to resist himself from using the words, Lazarus is dead. He says, our friend Lazarus is asleep. He's, in fact, in another translation, it says, our friend Lazarus is at rest and sleeping. Wow. <laughs> but I am going there that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Then he goes and says, the disciples answered, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will recover. 
However, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he referred to falling into a refreshing and natural sleep. <laughs> ah, this is very interesting. It says, how be Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. So when Jesus understood that they were still misunderstanding him, then he told them plainly. This is verse number 14. So, so then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So this is the first time that we see Jesus using the actual, speaking the actual fact. Why did he do this? You see, he did not immediately release this. Now, there's something I'm just seeing right now on the fly. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You remember when I said that um, fast words matter? You see, when Jesus received the report of death from Jairus' servant, he said, be not afraid, only believe. When he received the report about Lazarus being sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death. So the first counter confession that Jesus released was a confession of life. So some, let's say a person is in a doctor's office. The doctor, doctor comes in and says, you have this. You have this amount of time to live. It's serious. It's aggressive. Following the principles we see that Jesus applied here, the first confession out of your mouth has to be a confession of life. That's the first word that goes out there. There's a spiritual law to this because it's the one that swallows up the death report because the scripture says light shines out of darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it. So in that moment, in, the scripture says immortality swallows up mortality. Life swallows up death. So if life swallows up death, if a death report comes, your first confession needs to be a confession of life, a positive affirmation of life to do what? To swallow up that death. We see that's what Jesus did. But as he continued to speak kind of like indirectly about the situation and calling death just rest and sleep, he realized that his disciples were not catching along. So he says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So he says the fact after he's released several conf confessions of life. So if we're to do the math, how many times has he counted the death report? The death report came in in verse 2. It says, um, the sister sent to him, Lord, whom you say, whom you love is sick. That was verse 3. Jesus received the message. He said the sickness is not unto death. It is to honor God and to promote his glory, that the Son of God may be glorified. So the moment he had the death report, the sickness report, he counted it. That's one. Then he goes on and says, um, he goes on and talks to his disciples uh, about going back to Judea. And he says, 
Lazarus, our friend, is asleep. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. So he's already released a positive confession two more times. He says, Lazarus, our friend, is sleep is asleep. So that's another positive counter-confession. Then he says, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. That's three. Now, that's already three, that three positive confessions he's released. And then because his disciples were not understanding what was going on in verse 14, it says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So now you see that he's bought himself some luxury to, to speak in plain terms, but because he's already set in motion words of life. The first words that he sent, that he spoke, were words of life into that situation. Okay. And you realize that from then onwards, up to the moment he calls Lazarus forth out of his tomb, he does not use the words, he's dead. He only used that phrase once. He only spoke in plainly that he's dead. Because every time after that, you know, it goes on to say, um, verse 17, um, there's another one. Then Martha, verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Then, then she, then, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou will ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus, again here, counters the death report by saying, Jesus said unto her, your brother shall rise again. That's another positive confession. Martha says unto him, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus counters. He says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's another one. He's countering it. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Wow. And, and this is good. And whoever continues to live and believe in, has faith and cleave to and relies on me, shall never actually die at all. Do you believe in this? Again, he's countering this whole um, death report. He, he, he asks her, do you believe this? Verse 27, she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had, when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. Now, <laughs> it keeps on going and going and going and going. And basically, um, it gets to a point where you know, he eventually comes, <laughs> verse 40, Jesus said unto her, said not I, said I not unto thee, that if you would believe, thou should see the glory of God. So, so, so then he goes on basically um, to call him out, Lazarus, come forth. So, all throughout this, you have seen almost like a sandwich because 
the the negative confession or the confession when he said i was our, uh, our friend lazarus is dead was sandwiched between uh three positive confessions of life and probably three other positive confessions of life so the power of the negative confession was snuffed out the negative confession or speaking plainly was not the first confession that jesus released it came in between so that's what i'm saying like like it becomes critical when do you when when a doctor's report comes to you when a negative situation comes to you first words matter your first confession cannot be negative you have to counter the death report by the doctor and then after that at a certain, yes when you're communicating to some people you can speak plainly but the point is jesus did not continue speaking plainly saying lazarus is dead lazarus is dead lazarus is dead no he said it once and after that followed it up with so with other positive confessions of life which meant that even though a word had been spoken that yes lazarus is dead it was sandwiched between on the left side and the right side positive confessions of life which negated that negative confession uh-huh but now it's interesting in the scenario of jairus's daughter jesus did not even at any one point release a negative confession to say yes your daughter is dead he did not say that so once again this episode uh once again we have we are we are uncovering what we've been really looking at in this in these first two episodes of of confession is the sensitivity and time essence and the timing of when to release your positive confession when to release your counter confession and perhaps how much luxury luxury or liberty do you have to release to speak the fact i hope this blessed you Sela. This was episode 14 of the Christian Checklist series. In this episode of the seven muscles of Christianity, we looked at muscle number four, confession, and how we can exercise it. Why do we need to confess things? You see, confession is how faith is released. The final act before manifestation is a confession. We see this at the beginning of creation. Then God said was the last precursor to light manifesting and everything else that he created after that. The last precursor to attaining your salvation was confessing that Jesus is Lord. Also in this episode, we continue to uncover the time essence and sensitivity of when to release a confession or make a counter confession to any bad report you may receive. Jesus illustrated this on several accounts. One was with Jairus' servant who had come to them and told them that Jairus' daughter had died. As soon as Jesus heard that word, he immediately told Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Jesus did the same thing when they told him 
that whom he loved, Lazarus, was sick, Jesus said, the sickness is not unto death. You see, today, many people, including many Christians, sit back and get pebbled by the angel of death, by so many death reports that come streaming in through the news broadcasts, through the TV and radio airwaves. To them, it's just news as usual, business as usual. But in the spirit realm, what they don't know is that this is a strategy by the devil to manifest these negative projections, to bring them into reality in our world, our economy, and even our personal lives. In the next episode of the Seven Muscles of Christianity, we'll continue exploring this muscle of confession. Your host for today was Calvin Kavanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Strange